0: Maybe we should have started out with, like, listening to Backstreet's Back All Right and just, like, getting our no, energies no, no, up. No, that's, no, that's, no, no, no. no. <laughs> I almost want to do that now. Oh, God, no. Hello, everybody, and welcome. This is episode 10 of Tech Tree. I'm joined by just one of my co-hosts today, unfortunately. Hello, Shiban.
1: Yeah, the, you did get the name right, FYI. Uh... <laughs> Well, hello to all our listeners. And yes, we are back. It's just the two of us this time around. We were off the air a little more than we'd like, I think, because a couple of personal things came up while we were gone. We just didn't get the bandwidth to put the band back together.
0: I like, I like, the, I like the pun, man. Like, bandwidth and band together. Not bad. Yeah, that was un- unintentional.
1: One of our co hosts, Partha, has been relocating. He's left to buy uh, for now. Just the logistics of it became a little more difficult than we were used to. But yeah, we've finally got our act um, together again and we are here to talk about
0: drones today. Yeah, and uh, and Partha should be joining us on the next episode, so you'll just miss him for this episode. We do have uh we do have some Aztecs tech tree stuff that we've got, and we've, we've got a couple of follow-up bits, so we're going to reserve them for the next episode when Partha's back with us, and today we're just going to focus on talking about drones, and since we have, um, you know, one of the wise leading drone experts with us on the show, fortunately enough. Yay, well, thank you for for saying that, I appreciate it. So, uh, so the idea is to kind of talk about uh, drones and the way they are, and talk about the technology a little bit, we want to talk a little bit about um the state of the technology of some of the policy around it so that you guys get a better sense of what's going on um and then perhaps potentially talk also a little bit about the security elements of it some of the concerns um and things you should know if you would like to own a drone especially out here right so uh, shaban let's maybe start with uh, a little bit about the tech itself right part of the thing of course is and i know you feel a little bit strongly about this too is about you know, defining what a drone is versus uh, just any automated uh, flying vehicle, right?
1: Well, yeah, this is like a loaded question and I'll tell you why. And it's it's a testament to how far the industry has come. But when we got started using drones a couple of years ago, um, what would classify as a drone was basically anything that you could sort of fly um, hands off. So you could you know, get the drone off the ground relatively, relatively easily. And if you took your hands off the stick um, of the radio controls, it would sort of stay where it was. It wouldn't like come crashing out of the sky. That was for the smaller, more consumer drones. Uh, back then, DJI, uh, which is the world's leading um, consumer drone company right now in terms of market share and size, they just came out with a drone called the Phantom One, which is if you wanna, if you want to look compared to Apple, it was the first iPhone. Of of drones and it sort of changed how everyone looked at consumer drones. And before that, you needed skills to operate these drones. You needed to learn how to fly. You needed to know about radio control. You needed to know a whole bunch of different things, um, and it required a certain level of expertise. And what this drone did was it just demolished all those barriers for for entry into this uh, into this hobby slash industry. And um, things have really moved forward since then because now the next it's been what, three or four generations since then, I think four generations of there's the latest one's the Phantom Four. So if you look at it that way, drones have come to a point where you can go to a store, pick one up and be flying in under, I don't know, half an hour, an hour. As long as it takes you to charge the batteries, basically. And they're hands off. They take off by themselves, say can do automated missions by themselves. You can just point on your iPad where you want it to go and it'll go there. You can use your iPad to point the camera wherever you like or your iPhone, whatever smartphone you have. Actually, it's not even related to iPads anymore. You can use it on Android. And that was not the case years ago. Um, and this wasn't too long ago, it was like five years ago, where we didn't have smartphones connected with, with these drones and you needed either a laptop or a drones built in controller. So that was the scope of where we are. And this is. Coming to the next point where we're having all of these problems with drones, and it's because of that, because companies like DJI have decided, yeah, we're going to put drones in the hands of everyone. We're going to demolish the price points of of drones. We're going to make them super accessible. That's led to a lot of growing pains because regulatory authorities are playing catch up with what to do with this explosion of flying devices that anyone can go out and buy, uh, which are getting smarter and smaller. I think it's a complex question and it's a complex problem that requires um, a very like detailed, selective, careful approach to resolve it. And we're still somewhere in the middle of all of it right now. I think uh, uh, regulations worldwide are, have relatively sort of been in place for the last like, two, three years now, and they're still being refined. Dubai's got its own regulatory framework, which is being refined and already put in place. And we have a licensing system, we have a registration system. But I think there's still a long way to go.
0: One thing uh, you mentioned as well is like, um, you know, we had DJI and the Phantom One come in. Do you see differences in how, uh, outside of the hobby aspects, of course, but like, do you see differences in how drones are used today because of this versus how they were being used prior to the Phantom One and stuff coming into the, the market? Yeah, so I think
1: before the barriers to entry were very, very high. So I'll give an example. The cost of just the flight controller or the brains that runs a drone could be anywhere between five to $10,000 and upwards before, and you have to sort of build this thing together. And drones have been used for a long time, even before DJI came along. Yamaha actually used to make agricultural drones, uh, which were gas-powered drones and beyond the the sort of consumer market there were companies that were making um, drones for mapping and for surveying and other applications but these are this was considered really sort of exclusive high-end industry was just one below military drones basically and a lot of military manufacturers also had civilian versions of their drones but none of it was something you could go out and buy as a company no way you just you wouldn't do it because how are you going to get the pilots? How are you going to get the training done? The drones were like upwards of $200,000, $100,000. What happens when there's a mistake? This is not something that could just make it, the technology accessible. And it was complicated. You needed a high level of training. Uh, that's not the case anymore. Um, you don't need much training because now you, um, the consumer drones are smaller, safer. They've got you know collision avoidance. They've got automated systems that just keep the drone safe they take a lot of the legwork out of operating it and because the costs are lower and the cost to operate it is lower uh, and the the ease of operations is there that suddenly now everyone can sort of you as a company can go out and and buy a bunch of drones and and do all kinds of things that you wouldn't normally ever think of um, five six years ago
0: when we're talking about like drones because we're using the word pretty freely right Uh, you know we are specifically referring to unmanned vehicles right
1: yes the interesting thing is is what's what the chinese are working on so the chinese i think um i've been hearing rumors that they're working on big drones i mean we're talking drones the size of small airplanes which are basically airplanes they're not they're not helicopter style drones they're aircraft style drones and they're using them potentially to have completely unmanned cargo fleets that can operate 24 7 uh, can operate with uh, with a lot of um, not just efficiency, but they can be on very, very tight schedules because uh, you don't have pilots and crews having to change and all of that stuff exactly. You just boom, 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 all you, uh, refuel, off you go, refuel, off you go, that kind of scenario. And they're planning to bring that mainstream soon. Um, I don't know. I think it's still being tested. Um, and this is like, we're talking, these are rumors that I've heard, so we're, this is not stuff that's being published yet. Uh, anywhere but I, I have uh, suppliers and, and business interests in, in China and they were talking about stuff like this happening. Um, so yeah I think and they're probably not the only ones. I mean these are probably programs that countries are running in parallel to test them out and I'm sure that other countries are working on this as
0: well. And it's not a bad idea right? In the past when you're talking about that I mean that's what you would use it for right? You would use it for surveys, agriculture purposes. It's, it's changing a lot. I mean we look at things like Aerial photography, not just because it's like you're surveying something, but aerial photography as a hobby, right? Uh, I mean, we talk about, you know, the stuff, especially like in India, this is like a huge market, like aerial photography of weddings and other events and things like that as well, right? So that, that has been part of the shift as well, because now my I can afford a drone, but my need for a drone isn't to survey, I don't know, an agricultural farmland. Yeah, so now
1: aerial photography is it was a novelty a few years ago where people were like oh my god look at this uh it was shot by a drone now it's like everywhere it's like on everyone's instagram feeds and it's on youtube it's on cnn you know, every single segment that they do they'll have like these sort of panning drone shots of oh we're covering x uh, flood or we're covering this big uh show slash event slash um um concert and they'll like, just be these sort of uh white shots of, of dro- uh, from the air and that's it you know that's it's just it's so part and parcel of life that that charm i think is is reducible so, at least for me i guess maybe because i'm I see this stuff every day, so it's, it's like, yeah, whatever. Uh, but back in the day, just I used to operate drones before because you needed to have special operators. Just getting a bloody camera in the air and getting it stable, uh, free from vibration, and getting good shots from it and triggering it at the right time uh, and getting the feed up and running from from the camera down to the ground onto a TV screen um, wirelessly took a lot of work. Um, it, it, it did, and now it's just, pff, everything's integrated, and it's, it's so much simpler. So... Uh, it, but it has led to this explosion of of people that have done some really creative things. It's not to be all cynical, but it's led to this entire new medium of photography, um, which was not accessible. Before, interestingly enough, before these, these drones came, came along, aerial photography was actually done using kites and balloons, but mostly kites. Uh, it was called CAP, K-A-P, uh, kite aerial photography. Balloons... Uh, not really ideal because you need a big balloon to, to haul any kind of weight so people just use like a little GoPro type thing on it um but then kites you can lift a significant amount of weight uh and in the right wind conditions and with a big enough kite so people strap cameras onto kites and fly them and then trigger them remotely using cables attached to little thin cables coming down the kite string um and and yeah, that was called CAP and there was an entire forum dedicated to it, which I used to visit, it was just fascinating. Uh and it was like um, the camera would sort of move around with the wind and it would be like you couldn't really get it to point where you wanted to. So eventually people started building these really intricate contraptions to get the camera to point wherever they wanted to or against the wind, so they had some uh, some control over it. Um and this was again but it, yeah, so aerial photography again is not something new it's been around for a while it's just now it's exploded and a lot more people are doing it and back in the day it was just this exclusive thing where very few people had the means and the access and and the knowledge to be able to pull it off
0: that's i mean that's super interesting actually i did not know that uh, kites were used this aggressively (laughs) uh, for for i mean I've, i've seen them do interesting things with kites by the way like it's not like i didn't know but i didn't know it was this dedicated right like in terms of trying to do all these contraptions and things that's that's fascinating but um so let's talk a little bit about the a little bit about the capabilities as well right today so we've talked about what's happened in the past where you know where is it being used today outside of obviously the ones we've talked about Um, and some what are some of the things that drones are doing today that perhaps were impossible five years ago and you alluded to one or two of them okay so
1: um, there's a lot that you can use this tech for i mean the industries across the world are just finding newer and better uses for it but my personal my personal opinion i think what you can do is, drones are not just things with cameras on them. You can, I mean, I've been part of these events over here in Dubai where groups from all across the world, whether it's universities or private companies, uh, would come here and display the latest drone tech, and there would be um, there would be a competition, and you know, best team wins. And cameras weren't really, they were just being used to see where the drones going. So all it came down to was what kind of payload. Uh, what kind of capabilities you had, and so from using um, drones that have or carrying payloads that can detect nuclear uh, um, nuclear leaks, uh, non nuclear radiation leaks. So they had these radiation leak detectors on them. So you could fly them, let's say in Japan, where you had the the nuclear disaster, the plant uh, meltdown. Uh, And you could check for for localized leaks and and build a radiation map of the area. So from that to uh, finding out, um, um, we're using hyperspectral cameras, for example, to see um, sort of beneath things and and not really beneath things, but hyperspectral is just you're able to see more spectrum so you can see uh, an image so let's say you have a hyperspectral camera on on a on drone flying really high, and you want to see um, if there are um, refugees illegally being transported, or there's human trafficking. You could possibly, you know, figure out from the spectrum uh, analysis of, of of images whether there's people on board, or whether there's in illegal substances being being transported. And all of this is sort of boiling down to drones being super capable as platforms and then people finding new and interesting technologies that they can add to that platform to, to you know, so the whole package just goes even further together. And there was a project interesting enough that I was involved in, which uh, I was very passionate about recently, which was the delivery of, uh, of essential medical items um, uh, in, in the South Pacific uh, island nation of Vanuatu. And uh, this is a small island nation that's just off the coast of Australia, um closer to New Zealand probably and um they have lots of lots of islands uh they're they're a very very small happy nation um, and the problem is because they're an island nation and and some of these islands are, when I'm saying remote, we're talking remote. they just have like an airstrip there's no roads there's no there's no proper Uh, electrical uh, grids, they're just running off the grid, Um, dirt tracks. Uh, Most of the villages are on on the coast. Some villages are on the inside. You're surrounded by shrubs and and, and palm trees and jungles. So if you want to go from point A to point B, it's like a six-hour, four-hour trek just to get from one village to another. And the idea that the government of Vanuatu had was to try and use drones to do medical deliveries because right now UNICEF is involved in... And doing deliveries um, in, in 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 well the current old-fashioned way, but hopefully that will change soon, which is by by foot. So the UNICEF people will then walk from village to village, uh, administering vaccines to kids uh, to root out diseases like you know hepatitis and polio. And uh, they're exploring whether drones would be a more efficient method to deliver these vaccines.
0: You mentioned UNICEF and we're talking about like aid and and humanitarian stuff. Are there there, other places where drones have been used for delivering um, help to people?
1: I'm not sure that a lot of this stuff is talked about and a lot of people know about it because it doesn't make for very exciting news. But drones are actually super useful in any country that has limited infrastructure, which is developing. Uh, Here's a weird example. We all know about the Zika virus, Uh, so this has been a problem in a lot of developing nations where the virus will will cause birth defects. So people have been using drones, Um, agencies actually have been using drones to experiment with dropping sterile mosquitoes uh, in, in areas where Zika is there. So these sterile mosquitoes are frozen on, not frozen, but kept on very cold temperatures on the drones through drones are then deploying them over let's say areas where there's a swamp or where you know that there's a possible breeding location for mosquitoes and the sterile male mosquitoes will then go in and mate with with the zika carrying um a, a population of 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 uh, um female mosquitoes and then render that entire area um sterile. That's exactly the point, right? So th- those, those eggs won't hatch um, when they lay those eggs and the population is essentially rendered um, 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 harmless to, to to people. And so you can basically combat not just Zika. Zika is an example that I used, but you can essentially look at maybe even malaria, even other mosquito-borne diseases. And you can even scale this up to other insect species that can cause uh, problems in human beings uh, on a large enough scale, so that's that's another example, and that's just it's completely left field. But drones are perfect for that because you can target areas uh, from the air, and you can do it at a fraction of the cost. You don't have to walk and trek uh, trek over mountains and swamps and, and jungles. You just go out and you fly above and you deploy. If you want to talk about medical deliveries, it would be unfair to talk about. Uh, the subject and not mention a company called zipline they've been doing blood deliveries um, for the blood and um, I think vaccines as well but they've been doing this for the last two years and they've been doing it for their company based out of uh, US in San Francisco and they were very smart they decided that all right instead of fighting regulations in the US we're gonna set up regulation uh, set up our operations in, in a country which has limited regulation and get the government support so the Rwandan, the Rwandan government then said, "All right, why don't you guys? You know, they they help them out. They're working with the government, and they've got a very successful blood delivery program that they're now looking at scaling up in other parts of the world. And they've sort of, if you look at it, they've beaten Google and Amazon. And this is a small company which is doesn't have that, that kind of funding, but they've done really, really well. So uh, another positive example there. If you look at uh, disaster and um, uh, like earthquake hit areas." Uh, there's an organization called the Humanitarian UAV Network. Um, and that's sort of uh, Patrick Mayer is is one of the people behind that. And uh, he then founded a company called We Robotics that have been heavily involved in in specifically using drones and emerging technologies to help people in in, in developing nations. So what they do is instead of saying, all right, we'll have a crack team of Of people flying around the world which is impractical is they set up and they empower people in those nations so they will set up flying labs for example in Tanzania um, they have a flying lab there and they'll go out and their people will then train those people and and think of it as just setting up pilot programs across the world Uh, Peru was I think another location that they've gone to um, and they've done, they're doing deliveries, they're training people to use drone data uh, and, uh, and how that applies to them. Uh, they're doing a lot of work. So it's just, it, it's a matter of implementation, I think, um, with with drone tech and, and um, humanitarian and aid groups. Because... Uh, as long as you're, you've you got the will and the funding, a lot can be done.
0: Yeah, and I think uh, we just, uh, when when it comes to aid and stuff, I think people we just have a very traditional approach to this stuff, right? Where it's like, let's send a bunch of people there, and then they'll go and do, uh, qualified people, no doubt, but like they'll go and do something. And sometimes we just, because we've just set the budgets that way, and that's how we think about funding and everything else, then all of this stuff seems like an added cost, right? Like, oh, I also have to then go and do this. But I think if we if we're better about it and we will get better about it with these examples that you're mentioning as well um, where you start to realize like instead of sending 10 people there and potentially also increasing a bit of risk of exposure uh, perhaps let's you know let's get some drones into play so that they can do a better job they can scale better they're more efficient when it comes to this stuff and you're reducing the human risk and
1: it can be called as and when necessary as opposed to a schedule so you can do scheduled deliveries and unscheduled deliveries we, when you think of de- drone deliveries, we always consider that, oh, yeah, I want my pizza delivered by drone. I want my burger delivered by drone. I want my souk.com package delivered by drone. Yes, that's super useful. But if you had a big drone, that could be a lot more efficient than the current logistics of, of having aircraft flying into passenger terminals. You can have drone terminals uh, in, in in cities in, in, in addition to passenger terminals and, and use those drone airports to, to transfer goods, just like, you know, uh, cargo trains run.
0: I think that I think the drone delivery landscape is something that's super interesting because even even uh, when we talk about the, I want my you know uh, like a Souk or Amazon package delivered or, or whatever it is, right? The fact that drone deliveries can be talked about in that in that sense, like we're talking about some mainstream application, like we you know a world where like your stuff is delivered to you, um, you know without human intervention but also without then the, the perils of traffic and all of this other stuff that comes into play and making sure things come come to you in you know the sometimes unrealistic time frames that people expect things to show up at their doorstep but you can deliver that right with a drone but the fact that you can do that implies that there is a huge change coming to the drone landscape uh the, the delivery landscape you know with without any doubt whatsoever and even though there's of course there's a lot of things to think about because this is an not only is this a new area, i.e. city airspace or just airspace, is not an area where that has been d- democratized, right? Like it's always been a very controlled thing. Um, so that there's obviously like a lot of complications that have come because of that, which is why it's going to take some time. It's not that the technology doesn't exist to deliver a pizza to your door, but it's also like figuring out the logistics behind it.
1: It is figuring out the logistics. And that's the key word here because what a lot of people don't understand is if, if i want your uh your where in in greens you can drop me a gps location to your house and if i have a drone with uh, enough range i could fly one down to you right now and, and send you a pencil or or you know something that's the, the the drone can comfortably carry that distance because the more weight you add the, the longer the harder the drone has to work to keep that weight in the air and the shorter its flight time But let's say currently like most of these drones can make that trip the problem is not that the problem is, the minute you fly something and you get it off the ground, you are intruding in the country's airspace. And this is a concept that very few people understand. And just because you buy an object and it's, it's readily available in, 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 in a store does not necessarily mean it has, you know, that all the framework to get it in the air is, 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 is being worked out. Right now, it's not being worked out. Right now, if you get a drone off the ground, uh, you have to file paperwork with the authorities let them know that hey there's gonna be a drone flying because if I were to fly to your house if the the drones path crosses with a helicopter which is carrying people on on their way somewhere you know what if it's an emergency evac helicopter Um, most of these evac helicopters fly without submitting flight plans sometimes because it's it's not an emergency right so they all just do it right then and there and off they go so you don't want to you don't want to cause any kind of I mean there's no scenario where a drone should ever impact someone's life or Someone uh, or an aircraft in the air, no pilot should ever have to worry about shit like this, you know? So there's, therein lies the problem of what we call segregation of airspace because we need to um, basically say, all right, there's a certain zone that drones are going to be operating in and aircraft have to stay away from that. And that becomes complicated when you have an airport in the middle of the city or when you have, like lots of air traffic, which in this part of the world, especially in the UA, that is the case. We are one of the busiest airspaces air in the world. You don't want anything impacting that. And hence the, the time frame to getting, you know, these sort of point-to-point deliveries, which we think are easy, are not really that easy. The tech is there. The regulations have to catch up. But also, let's say I do drop something to your house. Um, there's also the problem of last mile. Like, how do you know the drone's coming? Where do you know where to stand? Um, it can't leave it on the on on, on, um, on the road in front of your house because what if somebody else picks it up, the package, the drone shouldn't land because what if a dog runs at it or a kid runs at it? So ideally it should run, stay in the air. And if you look at uh, Amazon and Google and, and some of these other companies that are doing deliveries, some of them choose not to land their drones. So Google's entire project, uh, it was called Project Wing and their, their entire thing was that, all right, we're not gonna land the drone because it's too risky. And it's also very energy, it wastes a lot of energy uh, taking off again. So uh, we're gonna stay, keep the drone in the air, and we're gonna drop the package using a string. Um, and Amazon's model was different. No, we're gonna land in front of your in your front yard, and we're, um, we're gonna take off again, and you can take the package from the drone. So everyone's got this sort of different approach to it. I think the right approach will probably be something that'll be have to be tried in the real world um, and then verified, and that's what all of these guys are doing. They're conducting private trials right now.
0: Yeah, but even that is not is not is not straightforward, right? I mean, different cities are built differently. Different within a I mean, look at just look at Dubai, right? How you would deliver a drone in in a certain area would be very different from how you would deliver it in a different one, which is all high-rise and let's say on Sheikh Zayed Road. Uh, completely different model because now you just have windows. You don't even have balconies, and so where do you land it? assuming you want to hit a certain floor and stuff like that like you'll have to figure out a, a landing space you know that kind of thing actually you know I have an idea
1: for Dubai um, and not just Dubai for any any met, any sort of ultra populated metro city with high rise towers and villas and stuff like that you just land them on the roofs that's what I would do I would land on the roof and and, and you know how we have PO boxes everywhere uh, in, in, in like so you go to New York your PO box is in your building sort of so your mail comes there You could have a similar system based out of a roof um, where you can go to the roof and and yes, it requires a bit of infrastructure work on the part of every building owner and maybe the drone companies can sort of pitch in or whatever. Somehow, let's say we work all the kinks out uh, and we get to the gravy and the gravy is this, that you have infrastructure on your roof that's like a, a roof PO box system, the drones land there, your package gets automatically offloaded, gets sorted based on your barcode and your address goes automatically to your locker, and it stays there for you. And then if you want, someone can go up and retrieve it for you and deliver it to your doorstep, or you can go and get it yourself. Um, it's just a short elevator ride away. And and I think that sort of resolves some of the last mile problems that one would have in place like uh, that's super populated. And also means that drones can just fly onto the roofs, uh, and, and they don't have to fly really high. They can just relatively be at uh, skyscraper level and not interfere in, 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 in you know... Traffic, because most of the time helicopters are not allowed to fly below uh, building level. Their 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 minimum altitude is supposed to be well above the higher high-rise towers. So yeah. But yeah, again, it really is one of those things where you have to tailor the solution to the problem, and and it requires a different solution for almost every demographic and every city and every part of the world and, and where they are.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's what I was getting at. I think like it's it is not as simple as we'd like it to be, which is why, especially because I mean, when you want a when you want a company to deliver something like it has to be efficient as well. We can't have a custom solution per building, right? Like that that cannot that cannot scale. It has to be a little bit more standardized even at least by an area we say okay Sheikh Zayed Road this is how we'll deliver versus somewhere else it can't be you know for these two buildings on Sheikh Zayed Road it'll deliver here on this roof with this system but on these two buildings it'll be delivered in this way and like that just the the amount of customization that would have to happen would be crazy it has
1: to be something that's sort of one size fit all so if you have a tower or a building it's this solution and it has to work for all of them in the same way and give them the same level of service if you have villas same thing um, whatever the, the right solution may be. I mean, for me, I, I automatically go to roofs because I'm looking from a drone's perspective, which is it's super convenient to do that. Maybe it's not super convenient. And that's where you bring in a whole bunch of people who throw a whole bunch of problems at you and be like, all right, what about this? What about this? What about this? Yeah, which is which
0: is gonna be one of my questions, which is, you know, let's talk about the security aspect of this as well, because, um, you know, once you, once you have this, once you have this infrastructure sitting on the roofs, like how easy is it gonna be then for someone a random person to then fly one of his drones into this thing that's set up that fits his drone.
1: Oh, it's, that's not possible. So the whole thing, again, unless you have, a, unless that, all right. Since I've clearly thought this out, uh, you why that wouldn't be possible. So that would be easy to, to resolve. So let's say someone does fly the drone there. What are they going to land? Okay. That's the max they can do. Because if, if you're part of our, let's say our charter drone delivery service, uh, our fictional charter drone delivery service where you contract a drone, our drones are going to have, um, let's say RFID, which is encrypted or some sort of near field communications, um, or something that basically the, the, the payload is only dropped off if it's one of our drones and you'd have to break that encryption. And then we can, you're an IT guy, you know, the encryption we can be, you can have a lot of fun with that. Uh, make sure that it's only authorized drones that are allowed to land. Um, we can also have doors that only open up for the right drones so you just like you've seen i don't know in missile silos where you have these drawers that open up and then the missile shoots out um something like that that could only open up for the right authorized drones and the drones go in and then land over there and and unauthorized drones are just the doors just not going to open so what are you going to do i mean there's nothing you can do and let's say someone does decide to land you can always have like capturing devices or alarms or something that takes a picture or something that, that can can disable the drones. A localized uh, RF gun, which will sh- uh, will fire and take the drone out. So if someone does decide to mess with it, it'll it'll just be a losing proposition for them.
0: Yeah, I think I I mean so of course I understand that right. Like I do know that uh, perhaps maybe we can touch on it a little bit more in detail because we we're kind of talking uh, at the high level. But yeah, there are a lot of anti-drone technologies that are available already, and the, and some of these are like like you said with RFID and so These are very very old technologies. Like they didn't start with the with the advent of drones, right? They've been around for a long time. Uh, I think my question is more, you know, every every aspect of this, and I think this goes back to the original um, statement that we made, which is, um, you know, the logistics are, are still the issue, right? Which is, to be able to do this it's not just as simple as saying okay well you're right all right well let's install this um you know this sort of system uh, with a set of po boxes or lockers at the top of every building that's all it is it's not just that right Then you also have to look at sort of managing the other side of it the safety aspect of it. I mean, the drone has to land correctly and all this stuff and all of this stuff has to work out great because, you know, you know how it is, right? Do you start putting private contractors in place to start deploying the stuff and someone's going to, you know, uh, short chain somebody somewhere and then it's going to become like this thing where like, well, you know, it's not. what's the big deal? Who's going to fly a drone? Somebody, you know, so all of this has to be like really standardized, right? It has to be really, really done well because you can't have a situation where uh, someone's safety could be impacted, right? Because, the, the, you know, the, the, the thing drops it in the wrong place or something like that. Uh, Someone security could be compromised. Again, same story. You have to make sure that this whole stuff is tried and tested well. Um, and then, of course, the interference from other drones and other systems as well. So I think all of this stuff has to be pieced together and really standardized before, uh, you know, we can do what we're talking about, which is our drone charter service, which is this automated thing that that can just exist on our rooftops and, and it all works out you know, swimmingly.
1: Yeah, I mean, again, bear in mind, we're talking in the realms of fiction right now. I mean, the tech is there, but our scenarios are completely fictional. And yes, there's, people are gonna be saying, oh, but what about this and what about that? But guess what? When you have packages being sent by bikes, do you see anyone messing with that? Do you see, no. So after a point, people become desensitized to these things and they're like, yeah, I'm not gonna do this because I really don't have the time for this. And and nobody messes with, with deliveries currently you will expect the same indifference to messing with drone deliveries because the cost of messing with that is expensive. Your drone is not gonna be something that is 100 dirhams. You're talking a minimum five, 6,000 dirhams just to mess with something. Who would do that? Yeah, maybe one person who's really got, a, got, a, got a beef with, with or has some problem. But honestly, I don't really see that being that much of an issue because again, it's, it's one of those things that when it becomes routine, people turn their attention to other things. And that's, that's how I look at it.
0: So let's talk also about, um, you know, those that want to get started out, um, I, I guess, particularly in this region, but I guess in general as well. Uh, maybe, you know, what would be your recommendation for perhaps like a starter kit and maybe a slightly more advanced? Again, coming
1: back to DJI, they are the world's largest manufacturer for a reason. They have the largest uh, market share. They do make some of the best consumer drones known to mankind. And if you're looking at top drones, you... You, you have to look at DJI and um, a couple of the ones I would recommend. So my recommendation is if you're starting out right now, you've never done you've know, flown a drone before, get something small, maneuverable, so that the smaller it is, it won't break that easily because big and heavy objects, when they fall out of the sky, tend to shatter. Smaller drones, because they're lightweight, um, made out of um, um, you know, hard wearing plastic, tend to take knocks a little bit better. So look at, let's say, the DJI Spark. That's the smallest drone that they make. And there's two versions of it. One you can fly. Uh, You can just buy the drone and not buy the controller. And you use your iPhone or your smartphone to to fly it. I wouldn't recommend that, actually. I'd say get the controller because, honestly, the the fine control that you get using your thumbs and and just like regular RC gear is way better than using a smartphone. So a Spark is a good bet. Then there's the DJI um, Mavic Air, which is slightly... Larger version, um, or actually a smaller version of the Mavic, which we'll come to as well. So that's another uh, small drone that you can get. Most of these things can fly for about 20 minutes, 25 minutes, um, up to half an hour, depending on winds and how you fly it. If you have small kits, definitely stick with the small drones because again, it becomes a safety issue. Um, but let's say you want to fly you know, and do aerial photography. So the cameras on the Spark, I wouldn't say it's amazing. It's, it's really good for its size. It's actually probably the best you can get for its size, but let's say you're looking for, you know, uh, something a bit of a step up, go with the Phantom four pros or, or the Phantom pros whichever the latest version is. So look at the Phantom series basically with the, the professional versions and they have 20 megapixel cameras, they have one inch sensors. So these are like almost, um, they can get you some pretty insane image quality for, for something that small and Another recommendation is a lot of people will just get the drone and the controller and they forget that when you fly out 25 minutes up into the desert, you need more batteries uh, because just getting the one standard or two standard batteries is probably not enough if you're out for a day or half a day or whatever on a road trip. Uh, So get one of those uh, DJI does fly more bundles. So have a look at those they are pretty reasonable. They come with their own carrying cases. Just to summarize the DJI side of recommendations, you can look at the Spark, the Mavic Air, the DJI Mavic, which is a slightly older generation, which by the way, FYI, is probably going to be replaced with the Mavic 2, whose launches, I think they're going to l- launch the Mavic 2 very, very soon. Um, so don't don't get that one right now as, as of the airing of this episode. Uh, wait for the Mavic 2. Unless you're getting a good bundle deal, then maybe, why not? And then the Phantom series is a step up. Uh, apart from that, there's also another manufacturer. Uh, one or two manufacturers you can look at. There's um, Parrot. Uh, Which generally makes smaller consumer drones and they also have an enterprise division, which is very very big in the mapping front, but they also make um, the Anafi, which they've launched uh, recently, which is competing with the Mavics and the Sparks of DJI. So it's a small drone, good image quality, Uh, it's something to look at, see the reviews, see how it plays out, and uh, apart from the part Anafi, there's also Unique. So Unique have small drones that you can look at got one I think they've got one called a Breeze uh, which is it's a bit old now so you may not actually find it for a big discount but these are these small tiny drones that are relatively easy to store easy to, to transport and easy to, to um to fly around um, in restricted spaces and just you won't really hurt anyone with them if you're looking at this professionally then of course that's a completely different conversation because require a completely different approach but I um, for, for consumer stuff uh, it's by the way when i when most people give recommendations they just talk about all of these um helicopter style multi-rotor drones there's also um aircraft style drones so these drones that have wings um, and they can fly for a lot longer so if you're looking at something like that i think parrot also make the parrot disco for about five five and a half thousand dirhams. And the DISCO is a flying wing drone. And you can you get goggles, you can get, um, uh, we call it FPV, so you get these goggles that give you a live feed from the drone's camera, and it sort of gives you this sort of in-flight view, um, and you get to fly without really flying. And that's another fun thing to try out if you're looking to get drones, is to, instead of just doing it what everyone else is doing and getting multi-rotors, is to try and get... Uh, a winged drone apart from the disco. There's a couple others you can put together yourself as well So if you're a bit of a DIY kind of person um, There's lots of tutorials online, which I won't get into again right now because it's, it's another topic altogether But you can basically build your own drone and that's quite a fun learning experience um, apart from um, From being a, it gives you a sense of pride when you fly one of these things that you've built from your from your own You know with your own two hands. So yeah, those are the options Again, to summarize, you get the off-the-shelf stuff from DJI, you can look into Parrot and their offerings, or you can look into maybe building something yourself.
0: So let's let's uh, talk a little bit about the, the security aspect of all this as well. We, we touched on it, and I know, but I think if we're addressing, especially for those that like want to get into drones, right? We've kind of touched on a few things with regards to, hey, be careful, you know, the moment you fly your drone, you're, you're walking into somebody's airspace, Um uh, and, you know, there's a lot of anti-drone tech out there already, but we're still seeing and, we, you know, we, we still see issues where people are still getting away with stuff. And as you mentioned, the policies are still catching up. Um, so for someone that wants to get into drones and stuff, um, where does he, I guess where he begins is something we've talked about, right? Because today you can find drones pretty much off the shelf. But also, uh, what are some of the things you should keep in mind uh, in terms of not messing with or impacting um both the the policy of the city and stuff like that, but also just security in general of the people that he might be photographing or something. So I think
1: that's one of those questions where you should look at what RC flyers have been doing for the last X number of years. Now, people have been flying remote control helicopters and and aircraft and, and all of these things, and there's a realization among RC guys, and that is that when you make a mistake with one of these... Aircraft or helicopters are like let's say you fly an airplane RC airplane into a crowd of spectators uh, at an event so they, we have these RC events there are rules around that and There's a sense of responsibility with RC guys, which is just not there with consumer drone guys So you have I mean I see these YouTube videos of people flying drones In in packed crowd spaces, and they're just being I'm sorry, but they're being idiots Uh, Because they think that just because a drone's got a gyroscope and it's got localized, you know, uh, dual GPS systems on there and it's got collision avoidance that somehow negates them from responsibility. It doesn't. If you've screwed up, then you understand the consequences. And that's the issue I also have with Chinese companies putting uh, drones in the hands of every single person. You know, they have this... uh, it's irresponsible. Either you have tech in your drones that stops people from doing stupid things, which currently, not really, it's not there. I mean, we have a few things. We have no-fly zones and a couple other things that you can't take off near an airport. You can't do certain things. But it's not It's not foolproof. It's not bulletproof. So the companies are just like, yeah, let's make the most money we can by putting as many drones as we can out there into the hands of as many people and make it seem like it's perfectly okay for you to fly a drone around uh, um, a bunch of... Um, strangers uh, and there's recently there was a case of this idiot who flew a drone into a little baby and the baby had been injured and the guy was arrested it, it that is a problem i'm talking about so the sense of responsibility Chirag, i don't think that's going to happen people are not responsible when you start giving access to people uh, to, to, to sort of f- uh, far-reaching me ma- mainstream technology that has a lot of impact to everyone chances are people are going to do stupid things with it so i personally i'm an advocate advocate for control the onus is on the manufacturers if i as a manufacturer i'm making something i'm going to make sure that people don't misuse it and i have to figure out uh, the responsible ideally in an ideal world is they should be like all right if people are going to misuse this we're not going to make it but guess what that doesn't really happen and right now uh, my advice to people who are starting out is to just understand the responsibilities uh, if you are uh, getting something that's got four spinning blades and that has enough momentum to hurt someone and cut someone and cause them to bleed, uh, just be responsible. Know that this is not... Like, there are so many cases where people will, like, text me, like, oh, you know, we got our first drone and and uh, we flew it and it crashed. Yeah, okay. Then I asked, I asked them, like, did you read the manual? No. Did you at least watch a YouTube video on, you know, the five steps to getting started? No. What do you think was going to happen? I mean, it crashed? Good for you. The drone, you know what? I think, guys, uh, there should be a secret um, system in drones that they should just crash themselves in the nearest wall if, if you don't read the manual. Yeah, just so that it teaches you a lesson that just because you've dropped a whole bunch of money on this, that it's it's not okay. It is not okay. And why do I know this? Because I've seen people get injured. I've seen people get hurt. I've seen accidents. I know what it costs. The batteries on drones, a lot of people think, they're quite explosive actually. Lithium polymer batteries have caught fire when they're being charged. The people's homes have burnt down. Uh, This is not a joke. And unfortunately, I guess, when you're a consumer and you don't really care about the industry you don't care about the tech for you it is a joke it is for lulls. it is for laughs this for the youtube clicks uh the more crazy things you do there are these russians that are running around on rooftops on in, in the skyscrapers here doing these videos where they're doing handstands on, on the top of towers right right on the edge and they're filming themselves with drones i mean it's the dumbest thing that that you can think of because what happens is when air hits a tower it causes a lot of turbulence on the far side of the tower now you don't know this, but the minute your drone enters that kind of turbulence, it's gonna have, uh, you're gonna have a hell of a time trying to get that thing back under control. And, and it's just, it's, it's, it's irresponsible. Um, so my, my, I guess, end of rant, my, my takeaway for, for people that are getting started is to just understand the responsibilities involved, to read and learn about their devices before they take them in the air, and then to understand the rules. Um, every country has different rules the UAE is very, very, very strict. You're technically not allowed to operate a camera drone uh, without getting it registered. Actually, any drone without getting it registered. But in, in Dubai, you can operate a camera drone legally. In Abu Dhabi and the rest of the UAE, you cannot. It's only within Dubai uh, that they have, Dubai has a licensing system. So does uh, the rest of the Emirates, but their system is a bit different. So they say, without a camera, we can license your drone. You can fly, it, we'll give you a license. But as per the letter of the law, and they can, you're welcome to go to the General Civil Aviation Authority, the gcaa.ae website, download their drone rules uh, guideline, and it says over there, camera drone's not allowed. Without camera, you can register it, they'll give you a license for it as, as a hobbyist, and they'll re- put you in their system. And that basically locks you down um, as the owner of that drone. So if something happens, they can track you down and, and find out where you are. So you submit your Emirates ID and all of that. Uh, ID documents uh, is related. Now, Dubai, you can uh, get a hobby license. You can get training from either there's two um, companies that do this. The one is called Sunnet um, and the other one's called Exponent. Um, and they give you, I think there's a third one called Aeromotors. I'm not sure if they do that still. But yeah, you can get training and get uh, a, a drone hobby license. And then you have to know where to fly because just because you have a license does not mean you can fly anywhere. So if you're, let's say, near Mirdif, where near, you're near Dubai Airport. You shouldn't be able to fly there because there should be a there's a no-fly zone there set up um, by the authorities within a certain nautical mile radius around the airport, and for other airfields and sensitive areas of the city. So there's an official map that you can download from the Dubai Civil Aviation website that gives you areas which are okay to fly, and then there's areas marked in red which you technically should not even be taking off in. Uh, and those are military bases and, and places around palaces and, you know, places like the Burj Khalifa, I don't know, and basically sensitive areas. So, yeah, so once you've got the regulations and, and the knowledge down, then by all means go out. I think the best place to take a drone these days is to go out in the desert, uh, somewhere where, you know, it's a, it's legal to fly there and there's no hidden military base nearby or anything sensitive, and 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 just, just practice there and, and go crazy in the mountains where you can't really hurt anyone. And... Um, yeah, and stay away from public places and parks. That's that's all of it in a nutshell.
0: So I think one of the things I mean, uh, you know, during our conversation, and it's, you were relating to some of this as well. I, I think it, what's interesting to me is that obviously the 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 uh, what's the whatever the the cost of procuring a drone versus buying a vehicle is very different, right? And that's one of the reasons why it's such a big thing. But if you look at how People have driven for years and years and years, right? You can't drive without a license officially anyway. Um, And there's a reason for that, right? And this is, it's two dimensional, well, it's not two dimensional, but you know what I mean. It's three dimensional driving. And even for that, you need, because it's just going back, forth, left, right? right. Um, And even that requires a license. It requires a minimum age. It has a license, training, uh, uh, you know, a whole fine system and a black point system and all of this other stuff around it because putting people in control of a vehicle that not only can cause harm to yourself, but then also cause harm to somebody else is something that needs to be regulated, yeah? And so and so when, I mean, to sort of map that sort of example over to this side, to be like, okay, obviously it's not entirely the same thing, but there's a fourth dimension. Now you're also taking off and landing in addition to just driving um, or, or controlling the drone. So yeah, while a small drone or a very, very tiny hobby drone is not the same thing as a car, and I understand that difference, so, you know, don't start, hating me for this example, but but the idea that the fact that when you're driving something, the fact that when you're controlling something, whether it's a um, whether it's in the air, whether it's a pilot, whether it's a any kind of pilot, whether it's on on land in terms of a car, like you you're always given a license, a permit, a sequence of uh, trainings to satisfy both the authorities and yourself that you know you know what you're doing. Yeah, accountability. Yeah, accountability, and you understand what's involved. It's so important that this stuff is properly regulated. We keep seeing these. Um, and I want to talk to you about this also a little bit because I think it's something that a lot of news you see it and you kind of maybe, uh, maybe people don't understand necessarily why this is a problem, but we keep seeing these. We haven't seen some recently, and I know it has, a lot of it has to do with these countermeasures that have been deployed, but we remember a couple of years ago that we had these airport shutdowns because a drone flew into the airport airspace. Like, <laughs> to me, it's, it's downright bizarre to begin with because I'm like, dude, I mean, you, you, know, you picked up a drone. Like, why are you flying it in the airport? Like, how did you think that that was going to go well? Like, anyway, that logically, but but as you said, you know, like, people don't necessarily think of everything, people will do stupid things. And so that's why it need, the stuff needs to be regulated. Um, so I mean, it is. it has been nice that we haven't seen any... Um, We haven't heard of any shutdowns, I think, recently, right? I don't think in the last year. the airport has been shut down three times. You mean in totality, yeah, because of this. In totality. At one point, it even affected Charger airspace. So this is the reason why we're talking about this regulation and control and making sure that you responsibly attend to this stuff. So even though it might be super easy to get a permit if you're not flying a drone with a camera, it doesn't mean that you just start flying randomly, you know, as and when you please. I mean, I've seen people, uh, like you mentioned, you know, do it in like... Uh, home communities and stuff Like you, you kind of hear this buzzing And you're kind of wondering What's going on Suddenly you realize Hey someone's flying a drone All over my garden Or your garden Or whatever garden I'm in It's I mean there, there is a There is something to be said About that right Like I mean I understand The draw of it And I understand That it's exciting And all of this stuff But it, it does it, it is an area That people should be Extremely there needs to be some responsibility and as you said accountability about it so that's the reason we're talking about that uh but coming back to the example of the airport shutting down and and dubai airport you mentioned like three times but the uh, airport was not the only one that was hit by this right i mean we've seen this happen in other countries as well around the world first of all
1: the biggest incident that happened was some genius in the white house decided to fly a drone um, he was drunk and he was trying to operate a drone which crashed in the white house and that caused some massive security ripples and and this was not the first instance some idiot decided to fly a drone to the Japanese Parliament earlier a couple of years ago yeah these massive big profile profile, high-profile attention-grabbing headlines uh, done by people who just use these things as tools and as a means to an end and it caused governments to just just be like all right They, they they went to the Chinese and just said all right you know what either you fix this shit or we're gonna ban drones Day in and day out you know forget it you're not going to sell a single one of these things on our shores and i think that was not a bad thing to do because um i would be pissed if i were in their shoes right i mean you can't make these things that easy to to get so manufacturers that within the first month or ex- first few weeks decided Uh, When I say manufacturers, I'm talking about DJI here because, you know what, as much as I love the company and what they do and their products are excellent, there's no doubt about it. Their products are really good. They push the bar, but they've made it too accessible, too easy, and there's an issue there that I think they they, they should start bloody addressing. So they put in what we call NFZs, no-fly zones. They asked the governments for feedback, and they said give us all these sensitive areas, we'll we'll put it into a firmware, push it out to all the, our consumer drones and all the new ones coming in as well in the future, where the drones simply won't take off in these certain areas, so they can't fly there. Uh, even if you were to take off in a different area and you try and fly fly there, the drone will hit an invisible bubble and it will stop at the border of what it perceives to be a security restricted area. So they put that in there. So that will was there. But my point was, that why was no one else thinking? Why do we have to wait for massive massive security problems like this to occur that's the issue it's always reactionary it is there is no proactiveness there the manufacturers just care about their bottom lines and and they just keep reacting to these things and that's not cool there are people that are trying to do good things with these with this tech and it makes their lives a lot harder and the problem is the good you can do with drones is phenomenal and most people don't talk about it and most people don't see it most people don't even realize what's what's possible i guess the reason i get so irritated is, is when i see that being hampered by some moron on youtube it really gets into my skin because it's just it's it's a waste of it because because all the good guys don't have to work that much harder and they're dubbed and and put in the same group of people as these idiots because once the regulations come in everyone has to has to, to follow them and, and guess what after these regs happen getting them changed or getting them you go to someone and you're like hey you know we're trying to do this and it's, it's a really good initiative and we want to let's say help people in need and in, 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 in disaster hit areas they'll be like no we the current regulation of our country is x you have to follow x this is the paperwork because the guy you're going to be dealing with is just going to be following the, as bureaucracies go is going to be following what he knows and he's like this is a procedure blah, blah, blah. you can't do this so it becomes impractical then to get anything done and there's there's problems like that that have currently affected aid agencies that are using drones in developing countries. So I'm not just saying something that's off the top of my head. No, and I would I kind of do wish that governments and and um, um, agencies uh, regulatory authorities worldwide realize that and, and start differentiating and, and start putting different rules for, for consumers and different rules for other people. But that will take time.
0: Yeah, I think it's also perhaps one of those issues with, uh, you know, a piece of technology or sometimes it's the whole, maybe we talk about larger things as well, uh, that's very democratized, right? Like, so when, um, I mean, this is a whole different conversation to have about, like, even, you know, social media and those kind of things, right, where it becomes so hard to regulate because every, there, there are, like, four um, you know, different parts to the puzzle. So you have, your, in the case of drones, for example, you've you're got government and their authorities, I mean, their regulations. You've got um, drone manufacturers and all the stuff they're trying to do. And then you've got, say, private companies that, you know, sit on top of it or are trying to do something for themselves. And then you've got all this other, like you call the good stuff or the people that are uh, doing it almost as a humanitarian thing, right? And everybody has to kind of work together to come up with a way to make sure that you read out um, the problem, uh, quote-unquote, right, the 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 issue. So not only does a, does a manufacturer have to then come up and be like, okay, well, we're going to do this because we believe it's the right thing to do, which is already hard a, a hard problem.
1: Yeah, that's not. there's no meeting room in, in, in the world where you can get up and be like, oh, this is the hard thing to do, we're going to do this. People will just be like, yeah, you're fired.
0: Yeah, and it's going to cost us more. Yeah, and
1: it'll hurt your bottom line, but we've got to do it anyway. I sometimes give manufacturers a really hard time. I, get, I guess I do come off as giving them a hard time, and I understand that because I guess there's misguided idealism there, maybe, whatever. But um, to be fair to them, uh, a company like DJI, for example, who are usually in the middle of almost every controversy anyway, um, are have done amazing things. So because they've made this tech cheaper and accessible is because humanitarian agencies that are currently always underfunded, Are able to use this tech you have to do you do have to give them credit for what they've been able to do because the alternative for some of these agencies is to go out and buy other solutions which cost sometimes five to six times more and are you'll blow through their annual budget just like that and if something goes wrong there goes your year so it's it's um it is it's a dual edged sword um and it is a balancing act and it's a complex problem but in the long term for the industry to to i think prosper more people up in who are in the decision-making process up up in the food chain uh, to just be a bit more responsible and proactive. It's just that proactiveness that they need to do.
0: As I was saying, it's, it's also part of the other pieces of the puzzle as well, right? Like, So if a company turns out and says, okay, we're going to do the right thing, obviously it's going to mean that their drones are going to come out slightly more expensive in the next run, right? Because they've done something that, that requires them to up their costs for whatever reason. And it takes all it takes is for one private company that is deciding to buy this to go to somebody else that doesn't have that because it's cheaper. Right? And so that's why everybody has to kind of play together and be like, no, well, we're going to go with company A because they actually have put in this stuff to make sure and that's who we are going to stock in our shelves, right? Like it's it's this whole process. And that's why the regulation and stuff is also so important because even that stuff has to be thought, to, thought through properly. You can't dump a bunch of regulations that, price out these manufacturers from doing good work as well like you pointed out right like you you can't have all of these regulations that come in that suddenly the cost of every drone is now 2x and therefore you know half the business is gone or or and worse is going to be like the people that actually need it like the humanitarian aids or the ngos or whatever these other companies are that are trying to do good work they're the ones that are badly funded and they're the ones that the moment the drone price the drone goes forget 2x if they go one You know, 1.2x or 1.5x, they're not going to be able to do the same work they did the year before. But the hobbyists are happy they're buying one drone or they're buying a small number or actually they're the ones that are not really um, having problems with funding will be like, okay, 2x or 2x, I want to fly my drone over over this park anyway. And so it's very important to find and strike the right balance across like four different types of entities, which is why this is such a complex problem. I think that's it from us for this week. Uh, once again we're sorry for the long gap but you know we're back and we're going to try and get back to our regular schedule partha uh, should be joining us on our next episode as well so until then uh, Shaban, if you'd like to share where people can reach you
1: so you can if you have any questions related to drones or pretty much anything that we've discussed in any of our episodes you can reach out to me on twitter uh, i am at airspective so that's um, a-i-r-s-p-e-c-t-i-v and i'd be happy to hear from you as always
0: Perfect. Uh, bartha can be found at uh, at bartha ns on Twitter and at bartha as well. And you can find me on Twitter at Chirag N D, That's c h i r a g n d. Tech Tree is available on Twitter as well. Just look for t three c h t r e. And you can find this episode show notes and all of our other episodes by visiting techtree.show slash ten. So until next time, it's goodbye. Goodbye.